Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. So I am very excited to welcome Julie Littlechild to the call today. Um, she is someone that I've gotten to know over the past year, and I love the work that she's up to, uh, and she has a great myth. So let me tell you a little bit about Julie's background, and then we can get into welcoming her to the podcast and talking and a little bit about the myth that she's brought to the table. So Julie is a speaker, writer, and researcher. Her firm, Absolute Engagement, conducts ongoing research into the drivers of personal client and team engagement. She has worked with and studied top producing financial advisors, their clients, and their teams for over 20 years. She's a recognized expert on driving deeper engagement and growth, the author of a popular blog, and she has a relatively new book out called The Pursuit of Absolute Engagement, which was released in January of this year. Julie was twice identified as one of the 25 most influential people in financial planning by Investment Advisor Magazine and won the Influencer Award in Practice Management from Financial Planning Magazine. She is a global person. She works in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe, and holds an MBA from the University of Toronto. Welcome to the call, Julie. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to delve into your myth. We've had conversations offline about this. So um, your myth is couples need to be equally involved in managing money, which is so uh, intriguing to me as somebody who does (laughs) some work in this area. So why don't you tell the people who are listening in today kind of what motivated you to pick this as the myth that we were going to bust today? Sure. So yeah, even as I, I I wrote that to you, I thought, wow, this sounds contrary to everything I believe in. And yet, <laughs> and yet it turned out to be true in a different sort of way for, for me. So, um, well, maybe for context, it, it would be helpful to say that, you know, first of all, I would consider myself a fairly strong individual. I might be understating that. Um, <laughs> That's what I like about you, a powerful woman. Not not a wilting flower. Um, I have, just like you said, I have a background in financial services, and I've been the primary, although certainly not the only breadwinner in the family for, for a lot of years. And, you know, it's been, it's certainly been my experience that, Women who are, you know, consider themselves to be strong women and who've, um, you know, who are the primary breadwinners. I'm sure this is true for men, too. I just can't speak for them. Um, kind of come to the table with expectations that, in fact, both partners should be equally involved in managing the money. I know I did. It 
it's um, it's something that I always sort of wanted in my own relationship that we would be equally involved, and that was always the term that I used. And so for me, I struggled for a long time with it because it wasn't happening. It just we just weren't equally involved, and and I had all these expectations that weren't being met, and that had some some pretty significant impact. So I ended up kind of reframing this in my own experience, but that's, that's, I guess that's the context for, for that particular myth. And as a powerful woman myself, uh, (laughs) I just spent yesterday doing the taxes while my husband went on a long bike ride. Well, I hope he enjoyed it. He did. He did. And, um, (laughs) So I can really identify with what your expectations were and how sometimes um, managing money or being equally involved in the money may not always be what happens, even though you're told that that's what's supposed to happen if you're a feminist and in a, a relationship. So tell me a little bit about how you alluded to this, but how did this myth that couples or you know partners should come together and be equally involved in managing money how did that ultimately impact uh, you? It, it sounds like on a personal level, um, and then we can also speak to the professional if you'd like to. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, there was probably some good and bad in it. Um, the good, I would say, is that it pushed my husband to think about money more and maybe play a bigger role than he would have in the past in previous relationships and and probably one that he felt a little ill-equipped to, to play, but it, it pushed. But the negative for me that was that that expectation uh, got in the way of really effective communication around money. You know how when you come to any conversation with these clear expectations that aren't met, it, you know, communication can break down. And I think that also connected to that is that we we sort of lost for for a while the ability to come together as a family and think about the future because that's really what we were talking about when we talked about money was what we wanted our future to look like and and that became all mixed up together. So we lost that really positive part of things. And what I like about what you're highlighting is there's both, with any money myth, there's usually an upside, mm-hmm. even though it's a short-term upside sometimes, sure. uh, and a downside. It, it, but give me an example of what you're talking about with the downside of your expectation that this was going to happen in your relationship getting in the way of communication. Can you just give me an, an idea yeah. of what that looked like? So, I mean, the, it, there's a few ways that that it, that it impact. I would say, just as it relates to that specifically, um, when what happened with us certainly is that when we talked about money, because we came at it from such different backgrounds and such different level of experience and comfort and confidence and, and all of these sorts of things, um, that I was trying to talk about the future of our family. And it kept coming down to executional details around money. So, you know, this will be an extreme example, but it could be, I want to talk about what our retirement will look like. And we ended up talking about the fact that he didn't feel comfortable about investments. 
right? So, I mean, those two things are connected, but not completely. And as a result, we'd get dragged into the discussion around investments or who's doing the taxes or who's, you know, doing all of that instead of actually talking about those much bigger and frankly, for me, much more important things. As to kind of the vision of what the future looks like. Yeah. And I yeah. can see how that would happen, especially, and I, I don't want to speak for your partner, but the, mm. I've worked with a lot of people who tend to not take the lead uh, financially. Yep. And when you don't take the lead, often what ends up happening is you, you just kind of want to avoid all of these conversations. So there's oh, a way gosh, in yeah. which you feel very picked on um, yep. when in fact, it sounds like what you just wanted to do is, hey, let's talk about our future. Yeah, and, and I don't even think I realized what was happening for a while and why why the conversations didn't go that way. Um, because just like you said, it you know, he came to, to this with such different experience and, and even different thoughts about money, you know, and what it meant. And there was negative things associated with it for him. So there was just, there was so much that was tied up into it that I don't think I fully appreciated well, and that just means that you are a human being, Julie, because it's oh, you and I, yeah, as you and I know it's easier to be the expert looking in and, and have a kind of a thought about it as opposed yeah. to being in it. Um, yeah. But it sounds like um, it's turned around. And so, mm-hmm. you know, how did you bust this myth open in your relationship? And what does it look like now? Well, I think that what happened for us is that, and the reason that that myth, you know, I even framed it in that way is that we don't have to be equally involved in the execution of things because there's some things that I'm better at and there's some things that he's better at. And when it comes down to actually taking action, then one person taking the lead feels right and natural and you probably both want it. So for us, what allowed us to actually do that and and for me to feel comfortable taking the lead on the execution was separating the vision part from the execution part, right? So being able to sit down and talk about and just dream a little, right? Mm -hmm. What do we want this to look like? How is it going to be? What's the vision for the family? You know, what, what do we have to give up to get that? What are our priorities? These are, you know, family, couple-y kinds of discussions. And having those without worrying about, well, Who's, who's then going to make the decision on working with our advisor and where we should be invested and how we should be invested and what insurance we need and if the tax returns are being done as they should and all of that. Um, because once I found that once we were having those bigger conversations, I was perfectly okay with doing some of the execution on it. It's interesting. It, it almost seems like kind of brainstorming and being in a mm-hmm. meeting and brainstorming a vision or brainstorming these ideas about your future and being there together with your partner on it and, and freeing yourself up, both of you probably, from who's going to take the next step, who's going to take the yeah. action step. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also, you know, and here's where infinite patience, I think, comes in, is is just appreciating that the other person really comes from a different place. So he had to be able to confidently say, look, I don't, I don't get this. And I had to have then the patience to not roll my eyes and say, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me, let me talk you through that. But, you know, in fairness, if, if it was about his job, it, it would be exactly the same thing. Yes. Right. Yep, so, right. <laughs> I'm giggling because I identify. Um, (laughs) 
And I think, you know, also it's interesting because a lot of times in the field, uh, in the advising field, you'll hear, yeah. hear a lot about how women are not confident around money. We don't know about money. And then you're a female in the financial industry. And, you know, you don't fit into that stereotype at all. Um, not at all. Right. Although, you know, sometimes your husband does because really we're just talking about somebody taking a lead and somebody not. And, you know, I think that's fairly typical in most households. I think so. And I think that it's, I call it the divide and conquer. It's kind of like we go towards our strengths and, yeah. you know, you feel good as a team if everybody's contributing, but you don't all have to contribute in the identical way. Um, so when this started to shift for you, um, how does it now feel? Or do you, well, let me back up. Do you meet together with your financial advisor? Have you decided to meet individually? Like I know the execution piece is, mm. is more on you and you're more okay with that. But what does that look like in terms of just meeting with an advisor or, you know, setting aside time to have these conversations? Yeah, you know, a lot of this has been fairly recent. I'm trying to think if we've actually met with him since we figured a lot of this out. I can tell you that in the past, we would meet with my advisor. And of course, you know, I knew him. I'd known him for years and we spoke the same language. And and so, you know, my husband would walk out and, and feel deflated um, mm-hmm. because he felt like there was this conversation going on around him and it wasn't being treated as anything he, you know, like you just assumed he would know what what this acronym was or that was and and it's and it didn't it didn't go well from that perspective so we didn't walk out of those meetings instead of instead of walking out and our advisor I guess and in fairness he really didn't know what was going on at the time but um instead of us walking out saying, wow, I'm feeling really together and we're on track and isn't that amazing and here's some questions we want to consider, we're walking out, me thinking, well, he was really quiet and him thinking that was horrible and, you know, not inspired in the least. Yeah, let's do that again. Yeah, let's, yeah, come on. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's so true. And, and the idea that um, you can have two very separate experiences, the... the um, the image that I use uh, when I'm presenting sometimes is the idea of being at a high school reunion of, uh, you know, your partner's high school. You didn't go to the high school. And everybody's like talking about these stories and connecting and they're having yeah, a great yeah. time. And you're like hanging yeah. out with a bartender because yeah. he's the only yeah. other person <laughs> that didn't go to the high school. Um, yeah. It sounds like your husband didn't go to the high school. And now yeah. um, you're figuring out how do we make it a satisfying uh, financial relationship without him having to, you know, enter an industry that is not an area where he wants to be in. Yeah. Um, so encouraging yeah. those conversations, though, at the same time. And that's, I think, when you, you know, when we talk about the role of advisors and engaging, then that's where I feel that a lot of advisors really could maybe step up and reframe the conversation instead of just trying to, you know, it's not... It's not like those, you know, those horrible people when they meet somebody who speaks a different language and they talk slower and louder. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I feel a lot of us kind of tackle this issue. Instead, what we need to do is have a different conversation. And and that's what I think would have been probably helpful for us. So for the advisors who are listening, can you give me a tip or, or two that you would encourage them to follow to change the conversation? Well, you know, I think it starts with, 
instead of instead of saying this is this is the agenda, these are the things that we need to tackle. Um, try to frame the agenda around things that are going to draw both into conversation about the overall plan. So, you know, for example, you could you could say, look, at at our next meeting, uh, I want to talk about. Uh, your plan for your son and his education or, you know, just something where irrespective of experience levels, you both want to have that conversation. And that would then lead to, of course, therefore, what do we need to do in terms of structuring the the plan or the portfolio and what have you. But if we could um, overlay bigger conversations where both people were actively involved, um, I think that that would make the rest of the detailed conversation a lot easier. That's a great tip, because I think a lot of times advisors, you know, live so in their industry, they forget to talk and client speak or be able to really think about where do these two people, quote unquote, live? You know, what are the Mm -hmm. issues that they're dealing with? A child's education is one of them. So that's, that's a wonderful tip. Now, how about for the folks who are listening who are in partnership, and maybe um, still, you know, buy into the myth that couples need to be equally involved in managing money, or maybe you have convinced them to come to the other side uh, and think about it a little bit differently. What advice would you give them? Well, I guess I, it's probably in the same way I would look at a lot of big issues. I think if you can break it down into its component parts as a starting point, that's a, a great idea. So, for example, in this case, we might say, well, if we think about this as a whole, we're talking about our vision for the family or maybe retirement more specifically, but let's say the vision for the family. And we're talking about our priorities and maybe we're talking about our values, right? Because that's going to influence, you know, is it more important for our son to go to private school or that we get to take him for this amazing holiday every year or, you know, what have you and experience the world. So like getting together on that and, and use that as the springboard. And then I think you can get into the detail of, all right, now that we've got this plan, who's, who's really best suited to do what, Um, you know, at that point it might be, look, we both need to meet with our advisor, but I'm comfortable making certain decisions on these things. And, you know, here's how I'll kind of keep you up to date on that so that, you know, I'm not, <laughs> you at least know what's going on. Um, and I do think that's an, an important, you know, the downside of the fact that you might not be equally involved, I think, can mask the issue that both people do need to know certain things, right? We... If, you know, God forbid something happens to one of you, the other person does need to have enough understanding and knowledge to at least know who to go to. So so I don't think this is abdicating responsibility completely, um, but it's, it's certainly then just getting into the who does what. Well, and, and I'm glad that you said that because I do think that having, um, I usually recommend, you know, week, not weekly, but monthly or weekly if you want to do five, 10 minutes a week as opposed to maybe mm-hmm. 20 minutes a month, um, some sort of couple financial meeting where yeah. everybody knows what's going on and then the actual to-dos, the implementation 
uh, you know, may fall differently depending on people's skill sets, but being kind of aware. And and that's where I like this idea of what's our vision? What's our priorities? I have a girlfriend who her and her husband have very different money mindsets and have struggled Mm -hmm. to come together financially. Um, They have three kids. And so about a year ago, they started doing these financial meetings where they designed it where each person would bring two items to the meeting. Uh, And then they have certain other rules that kind of go Mm -hmm. with how they're going to have this conversation conversation. And by both of them bringing items to the agenda, what they've found is that they feel more connected and together. Uh, He tends to be more um, into the technicalities and probably the implementation, and she's Mm -hmm. more of a vision person. um, But allowing each person to bring agenda items to the meeting uh, really kind of balances that out. So I thought that was a neat uh, way of doing it. Yeah, that's a really great idea. And I think, you know, I will say, just picking up on that, that the one thing that has been most beneficial for us, and not even just, you know, just as a couple, I think, never mind money, is structuring some of these conversations, right? Because, you know, you come home at the end of the day and you're tired and you're getting dinner ready and your kid is going on at you about something. You know, it's not the time to say, hey, do you think we could, uh, you know, give me a bit more information on on that uh, statement we got from our advisor. <laughs> it's So, like, setting the time aside and to say, yeah, on a on Saturday night, you know, maybe or whatever it is, we're going to we're going to have this conversation. I think I think it does help. And, you know, and I think, I think you used the word being curious, right? I think that's yes. kind of a, a, a really interesting part of it because it's like when we can, when we can just, you know, set the judgment aside for a moment and really try to understand what money means to people, it's quite fascinating to me how deep it goes, right? When you really start to, to peel back the, the layers, Absolutely. And so what I'm hearing is curiosity, kind of accepting that um, the two partners might bring something different to the table, but they mm-hmm. need to both be involved. And then to be conscious or mindful of setting up a time that works for both of you to have these conversations, mm-hmm. knowing that life's busy and it can get stressful. And so really making sure that you're taking some time just to have the conversations mm-hmm. uh, and and make an overall plan. Um, yeah. Great advice. Uh, you have a wonderful book. I've just started to take a look at it and being um, someone into uh, life fulfillment and coaching mm-hmm. and coaching activities, I can tell you already uh, how great it is. So I want you to say a little bit, Julie, about this book. I know it's specifically for uh, financial advisors and related professionals, but I know we have some listeners that fit that bill. So tell um, the audience a little bit about where they can find this book. Sure, you can you can find it and you can learn more about it on the site at absoluteengagement.com slash book. And there's a little information there. You can download the first chapter and, and read that. And yeah, it, it was written for advisors and, and related professionals, although I think the you know, the overarching message, like you, you said, is really about building a business that is that sits at the intersection of growth and fulfillment, right? And and how how we create something that has a consistent through line from a personal vision to the actual building of the business, um, which you know I, I do think probably relates a, a little more broadly. 
Absolutely. I could see a lot of entrepreneurs and professionals being able mm -hmm. to benefit from, um, you know, those concepts, whether they're in the industry or not. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Julie, it's been lovely talking to you today. And it's so nice to have someone who's uh, in the financial services industry that's willing to kind of be honest about some of the challenges uh, mm -hmm. about talking about money as a couple and, and being real around it. So I really appreciate your time today and what you brought to the table. No, oh, my pleasure. It was great to chat. Excellent. Well, thank you for breaking money silence with me and stay tuned. Uh, pretty soon we'll have your next podcast. This is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury for Breaking Money Silence. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.